Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 92, for Monday, November 28th, 2016. <music> Greetings, folks. And welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Las Gatas, California, Paul Kent. Happy uh, back from Thanksgiving, Mr. Kent. Happy back from Thanksgiving, Mr. Hamilton. How was yours? Uh, ours was very good. We had, uh, it was very low key. We had my dad and his wife and my brother and his kids over. And actually, we celebrated birthdays for three of those people. So it, uh, my kids are born next weekend or celebrated birthday next weekend. And my dad celebrated one in, in November. So it was happy thanks birthday giving. Well, that's cool. My uh, youngest daughter was the 23rd. So we had some oh, yeah, birthday stuff as well. Yeah. 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 A good time of year for sure. Yeah, it is. I like this time of year. Um, it, uh, it, it. I don't know. It, it's always fun. I, I like the, I like the weather here. Um, it's not like bitter cold yet, but you know, I can have a fire in the fireplace every night, and it's like you know, the the family doesn't hate me for that. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, thinking about that and kind of like setting the the mood for the holidays. It's a like a totally unsolicited plug, but. One thing I love, in addition to fires in the fireplace and just kind of this nice mellow feel in the house, is music playing in the in the house all the time. You and I are both big Sonos fans. Absolutely. And there is a very rare Sonos sale going on right now, right? Yeah, I don't know how long it goes on for, right? But but yeah, the the Play One is normally one ninety nine, and and you can buy it for one forty nine. Uh, I love my Sonos. I mean, the concept of of having wireless speakers throughout the house. You can have different sources to send to each speaker, but just having music on, you know, good sounding, low volume to medium volume music, um, just all the time, just kind of adds to my enjoyment of the holidays. Certainly did this past weekend. We, this weekend was, uh, you know, my personal choice was the, um, Jason Mraz channel. Kind of nice, you know, great singer, you know, some nice, good tunes and similar artists. It was the Pandora channel that was, uh, so. Well, that's the cool part about Sonos is it, it and and we talked about this years ago when I first got into it on uh, on my Mac Geek Gab podcast. But it everything for me, music wise, had been brought into the digital world, which meant that if I wanted to play music through my like old, quote unquote, stereo system, it required some sort of, uh, you know, jiggering of things. And so for the most part, music became this very. Uh, closed thing where I was either listening, all of us were either listening with headphones or out of the speakers of whatever computer uh, happened to be nearby. And then I got turned on to Sonos and it was like, oh, wait a minute. Here's a way to take this digital stuff that now is all the streaming stuff. I mean, those guys really had the vision on the streaming thing early, early on. And and that's why their platform is is so good and robust and successful because they've been doing this for a long time. But it took that and made it, you know, so that it was easy to listen out loud. And the cool part about Sonos is everybody in the house can control it. And you can, like you said, you can start a playlist, but I could add my own stuff to that playlist and the kids could add stuff. And and now you've got this sort of shared experience thing. And, um, and yeah, Sonos is a wonderful thing. I, when I was out there, uh, I guess it was about a year ago, I was talking to some of the execs there and they said when they started the company, they started a, a secret list inside that they never published 
uh, about all the musicians that listened to Sonos and, and they say, they told me, they said, we still keep that list, but it's all of them now. <laughs> and I don't well, think they were really kidding. Well, that's the thing is exactly. Yeah. Well, to be fair, there are a lot of competitors like in all in every, anything that's successful is going to in, uh, invite a lot of a lot yeah. of imitators. Right. But like I've just been a Sonos fan. We've had Sonos in the house for six years and, um, you know, they're diligent about their software updates. You yeah. know, software is beautiful. Um, the sound is great. They, you know, this, this play one is a very reasonably priced. And it still sounds good. Yeah. The play one does. Yeah. So we could go on all day, but just, uh, and and I will say this, um, because it's part of what I do in my other job. Uh, I have tested a lot of the competitors uh, of, of, of Sonos stuff. Nothing touches it in terms of, uh, there might be some things like, I mean, it sounds good and, and it's not impossible for other companies to make a speaker that sounds good. Right. I mean, that that's that's frankly the easiest part. The uh, mesh network that it just creates so that you get these wireless speakers that just all work together however you want them to. And the user interface of their software just to make it easy for everyone to interact and all of that. No one comes even close. I, I mean, it's just it's embarrassing. Some of the other stuff that's out there. Somebody should be able to do this, right? I mean, it's Sonos did it. Somebody else can do it. It's not like there's only one smart person on the planet that can figure this out. And yet they keep proving that false. So, um, so yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, I keep testing this stuff. I'm, I'm eager to see someone compete because competition's always good, but, um, yeah, nobody really gets it. So yeah, Sonos. I'm glad you uh, you surprised me with that topic. Yeah, absolutely. Paul. So um, you know, put it on your put it on your Christmas list, guys. Yeah, it and really girls. Is. Yeah, it's it's one of those few gadgets. I bring a lot of gadgets home, and a lot of times, you know, my family puts up with the gadgets that I set up in the house, and but they're happy when they when they leave. Like the testing period is over and it leaves. If I took even one of our Sonos things out of the house, my family would lynch me. They'd change the <laughs> locks. Yeah, that's right. So, All right. So Sonos, good. Paul and Dave recommended. Yeah. Enjoy. All right. So play, here's it. I actually want to ask you any que- a question, but I'm, I'm also going to feed it because I, I had a surprise gig this weekend. But did you play any gigs this past weekend? I, I did not play any gigs. And I am Jones. And we, get, we have a private gig on a Saturday night. But they, they rented out a club that we play at. And so we're going to get back on that stage and that'll be kind of cool. But cool. I am going nuts, gnawing my arms off, woodshedding <laughs> like crazy, learning a lot of songs, yeah. acoustic songs, but I am ready to see my guys and, and get back on stage. So I, I did, I didn't have anything booked over the weekend. In fact, if you had asked me this during last week's show, I would have said, no, I have nothing. And, and I think it was right after I finished the show, I got a text from my friend Amanda, uh, who was one of the people in the Bitter Pill show. And she said, I've got this gig on Wednesday night, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And, and she said, I want to uh, normally I do it just solo acoustic. She said this one, I want to, you know, add more people. And, and I'd like to have you and and uh, and Jamie, who was the bass player, actually, in Better Pill, join me. And so we did. We played like a seven to ten at this club uh, one town over. And it was, I mean, like super loose, really, really loose, um, really. I. I think she maybe texted me half a dozen songs that we were going to do, but for the most part, it was just kind of going in blind. And um, but it worked out well. We had some, we had some uh, not so great moments, especially in terms of her guitar. Uh, she broke two strings, one right after the other, so that was really fun to have to deal with that um, at, at a gig. But again, it was loose; nobody cared except maybe us. And um, 
And then, uh, but we had some great moments of just getting like music together and, and some three part harmonies that just sort of fell into place. So it was, it was one of those moments where it was like, huh, there might be something to this down the road as opposed to just, you know, a one-off kind of thing. So I might play, she plays there every week and I, I might do it this week with her and, uh, awesome. we'll see how it goes. Yeah. 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 It's always, you know, keeping an open mind of these kinds of things. And that's how projects sort of gel together a little bit. So, I agree. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, along that line, you know, we're going to talk about things that work and things don't work today. I was th- I've been thinking it'd be a fun conversation to talk about the mysterious, mystical, dark art of the groove. Mm. And, you know, let's start it here, Dave. You know, we talk about, you know, the rock and roll fake book or GB general sure. business. Those are songs that you could almost do anything to and can, and you can still go over. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. And that's what last Wednesday night proved. Exactly. Yep. And pe- and people do do anything to those songs and they go over. Correct. But the interesting thing, especially as a cover musician, you pick some songs that sound great in your ears. You get tingly thinking about what your band can do with them. And then you start putting the song together and it just doesn't come together. And, you know, for me, I it it. it originates in that concept of the groove, you know, and, and actually I was thinking about it this way. Most songs that you love most, almost regardless of genre, um, they get some part of your body moving, pick, pick your favorite body part, but they get some part of your body moving yeah. to me when the gro- and that's because of the groove. When the groove is absent, it just is, is sound w- without motion. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, totally. Yeah. So I thought I'd ask you because, you know, the common thinking would be that the groove starts with the drummer They that you may you might challenge that. But what is that thing? I mean, like, again, if we can say any song, any genre, you know. The, the common denominator is that even hard rock songs, even heavy metal songs, even prog rock songs, prog rock songs, something is in that music. That either gets your head bopping, your toes tapping, your, your, you know, your middle section. There's a pulse somewhere. Right. But sometimes, even if the time is right, even if, even if the, technically the beat is right, it doesn't feel the same when a cover band takes it on. And what what do you, what do you think that is? No, it's true. And, and I think uh, I've certainly experienced this. My guess is most musicians have where, you know, you, like you said, you have that, that idea in your head. And then you play it and no matter what you do with that particular group of musicians, it does not come out right. And, and it, you know, there's just something about it. And uh, what was it? James Brown said the, the groove is the definition of a groove is the, the slowest you can play a song and still make it feel good. <laughs> uh, at which, you know, OK, right. I mean, that's one. I don't think that's necessarily the canonical definition of a groove, but it is a definition. It's interesting to think about it that way. Uh, but it, it's more than it, tempo is obviously a huge part of it. Uh, some songs are more forgiving in that sense, right? Where you can play them a little faster, a little slower. Some songs, man, it's gotta be like right on the money and, and even moving it, you know, five BPM or even three BPM in one direction or the other. It just doesn't work. Um, beat placement is a big part of it. And I put that on, I mean, I it really, I guess it goes to everybody, but it's, that certainly starts in my mind my opinion with the drummer uh, maybe between the drummer and the bass player where you've got to have, you know, the, the, the right 
person or the right instrument driving the groove while the, 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 you know, the right instrument is kind of pulling it back, go and listen to like a Texas double shuffle stuff, like, like all that Stevie Ray Vaughan, like pride and joy, right. Where the bass player is like leading the charge, basically dragging the band forward, you know, uh, on his shoulders. And the drummer man is sitting way back and like holding it back. And, you know, that creates that big fat pocket that just works for a song like that. Um, well, and it's, and it's different in different situations. But that's right? it. Is every song is different. Totally. And every band is different, too. Yeah. Right. You, you know, you can't apply the same tools to every song because you're pulling them from a bunch of different artists. Correct. And correct. expect it to go over. I mean, you, you if you're fish, you kind of can because people are expecting it to sound like fish. Well, in any band that does it. And that's interesting. That you brought up fish because. Um, they do a lot of covers. They do. They, as a, yeah, as a, as a working, you know, original band, as it were, they do. I mean, it's, it's not rare to see fish play in any given show. They've got two covers in the set and sometimes more. Um, but it, you know, it, every band is going to have their own groove and fish is, is absolutely that way. Um, I saw him once at, and for the encore, they had Kenwood Denard come and, and play. Uh, sit in on drums, which meant John Fishman got up and it was awful. Now, Kenwood Denard is one of my favorite, absolute favorite drummers. And it was, I'm not familiar a, with him. Who does he jump for? Um, he's a studio guy. He played a lot with Jocko back in, um, when Jocko was playing in New York, he did a bunch of gigs with him. I think he played with sting for a while. Uh, you know, but he's just got this killer groove and it was like, Oh, awesome. We're going to hear Kenwood Denard. And it was awful. Because it was, you know, at the end of whatever, two and a half hour, maybe three hour show, everybody's used to Fishman's groove. Now, suddenly, Kenwood Denard is dropped into your lap for, you know, what should be kind of the highlight of the show or the peak of the show. And it was just a different groove. He placed his beat differently. And it was like, oh, look at that. This like this train just fell off the tracks. And and so but there there's something to be said for that. Right. Even if you're playing other people's tunes, they're going to sound at some level. They're going to sound like you playing those tunes, you know, um, and, and some of us are going to get closer to any given songs origins than than another. But, yeah, there's there's something to the 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 groove. And I think it's yeah, like beat placement, I think, is a real important one. Um I, I would actually take this in a different direction. Okay. You're getting very technical about it, and I'm oh, going to yeah. be less technical. Okay. I actually think a lot of the magic in the songs that we love, the songs that, you know, are the ones that move themselves enough to say, hey, you know, I, I consider doing this. It's in the hands of the player. So more than beat placement, I'm thinking like the most, the drummer who stands out to me for that is Gad. You know, Gad is this incredible field drummer. It's totally. Doesn't look like he's hitting his drums terribly hard. I mean, maybe, but he looks like he's, you yeah, know, he's much. Got, I would always, I always describe Gad as a guy with soft hands, j- just because of how how fluid he makes everything. Fluid, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But you, you know, if you if you try to cop Gad, but if you try and take a you know a Ringo or Charlie Watts approach or you know anything like that. Those songs are not going to sound the same and the groove will be different. Right. It's not about beat placement. It's about his light hands that starts the grooves. And then again, you know, out from there, you know, I, I'll just use like that band that Clapton had mm-hmm. on the on the one more car, you know, Nathan East. And, you know, these guys, these are groove monsters. Right. Yep. Yep. So, you know, here's the deal. If you are a, a gag type of guy, 
you are a god among men who creates groove. If you're trying to follow groove, the nuances that you have to pay attention to, I think, are, are really important. And this is for every musician in the band. I think you can have a wonderful groove coming from a, a, a bassist and a drummer. And then if a guitar has this buzzy effect on and just kind of kills the feel of the song, it will disintegrate the groove. So, yeah, but the, the, I, I think I, and, I, and I realize we're, we're coming at this from two different things. But I, yes, anyone with a bad sound on stage can can ruin anything. Right. Feedback or or, vo- or even just a bad mix. Right. You a know, bad where, choice of sound as well. You know, yeah. like something not sympathetic to where the song is going. But I think just as important because I've had it where, you know, I've got a groove locked in with a bass player and the guitar player plays and it's like, hey, man, you're playing a different song. Like, you know, and 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 what what causes that is a lack of of synchronicity, if you will, between where those beats are. And I'm not just talking the quarter notes like like when I played with Steve, your bass player it instantly, it was like, oh, awesome a bass player that thinks about the 16th note, like, and and I'm the same way, right? We both come from whatever that school is. We, we both went through it separately together. And so it was like, Oh, great. We understand where each other is, but some guys are eighth note guys. Uh, And, and so they, you know, the, in their head, even if you're not playing eighth notes, that's sort of the pulse you're feeling in your head. I'm always hearing 16th notes or triplets um, to, to kind of feel things out. And where that can be a problem is if you've got somebody, not necessarily that's feeling it differently, but not feeling those 16th notes, let's say, and not hitting them the same, right? Because there's going to be moments in the groove where you're all going to be hitting, you know, there's, there's some interplay, right? And if the guitar player is playing... And a, yeah, or playing loose, right? If if the if the sixteenth notes aren't supposed to be swung in a given song, and he's playing it a little bit mushy, and he's swinging them a little, again, there can be moments where that's freaking awesome, right? But not, but but usually that comes out of the other side of like, yes, I understand exactly what you guys are doing, and because of that, I'm going to do this other thing to make it great. And and sometimes that's thought about, and sometimes it's just a byproduct. Right of a great player. But when you're on the, on the, on the beginning of that, if you don't understand what the other guys are doing and you know, you're, you're not playing the 16th notes as 16th notes, it starts to sound sloppy. And then if the guitar, as it often is, you know, if it's a integral part of that groove, then it can really make it fall apart. And I, and I've experienced that lots of different ways. And it's sometimes it's inexperienced players, but other times it's just, variety of experience you, you know yeah. if you've got a guy that's coming in is like tower of power you know and old school funk trying to play with a cat that's you know mr phil lesh uh you know grateful right. dead man it's a tough little uh thing but you know to be fair i i may have just described me and burke uh in fling and we make it work but but it's you know neither one of us is just from those schools right <laughs> You know, Burke is definitely a Grateful Dead guy. I definitely like that Tower Power stuff, but we've got other stuff where, you know, we've got a lot of jazz in between us. So there's these other places where, you know, our history sort of sort of melds together. And we both understand, regardless of our experience, the song is the song that we're playing is the most important thing to get right right now. I would I would say try try this on. Yeah, I would say the definition of groove is that feeling that the song is playing itself. Yes. 
You yes. know, it's like I'm doing not that much, but but there's just all this flow that's coming out of this out of this ensemble. And you and, might be doing a lot, too. I mean, it, it might be something very intricate, but you yeah. have to transcend that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. The song's and, and, playing and, and, itself. It, yeah. Here's a good example. Take a Metallica song. Yeah. The guitar is kind of driving that rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. Creating the groove, yeah, right? Totally. And it, the song just has this magic of its own. So it, I guess it's, it, you know, my initial premise about it starts with the drummer. Maybe not. You know, no, it's the whatever the rhythm cer- calls for. The drummer can certainly ruin it probably easier than anyone else in a, in a standard rock tune, I, I would think. But yeah. but it doesn't necessarily start there. You're right. Yeah. When not- you're a cover guy, unless you're you know going to impose your will on someone else and say, we're going to play it the way we play it and make it sound like us. The things that you listen for in order to unlock the groove, you know, some of the things we talked about, you know, beat placement, feel. I think it's hand feel for all musicians involved. Yeah. It, you know, tone is certainly tone, in- tone starts in the hands. Right. Yeah. I, I remember reading a thing when I was a kid, it was in modern drummer. There was this ask a pro section or whatever. And somebody asked Bill Bruford, Hey man, uh, you know, on this album 20 years ago, what symbols did you use? I love the sound of those. And how did you mic them? And you know, Bruford's answer was like, dude, that was 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> but I think it was, you know, this particular symbol. And he says, if I had to guess, it would have been this kind of microphone, but I can't say for sure. I don't have notes from every session we did with you. It was a yes tune. And he said, however, and he, and he said, he said this in a nice way, but he basically said, um, it necess- doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the microphone or the symbol uh, or the type of sticks I used. He said it has a lot to do with the hands that were holding the sticks. Yeah. So, you know, well, and, and he was and nice yes. about it, but he was not wrong. <laughs> well, what, a, what better example to illustrate the point than saying, yes, you think about roundabout and you move when you hear roundabout. Mm-hmm. Right. That grooves. Totally. Right? Groove oh, is yeah. not the domain of, you know, and of, those, of grooves were dri- those grooves were driven by Chris Squire. Not that like the drummers often were playing weird, you know, off time stuff or, 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 you know, um, uh, varying time signatures almost overlaid on top of each other. But the bass man, he drove all that stuff. I think. Yeah. 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 It is. It is the elusive art for a lot of things. Like I said, you, there's songs you can play and you can slaughter them and they'll still go over. But you know, when a band is, is really like, I would say that's the thing I listen to when I go listen to other bands now. Does it groove? Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, you, it, it's grooving because they know what they're doing. Is it grooving because they just feel each other and, they, and they're getting there together? You know, whatever it is, that's kind of the magic of this whole thing, man. And, and groove is that universal thing. You know, it, the, it creates a joy on stage that then permeates out to the audience and just can take everybody over. Way, way more than almost anything, way more than a solo or, or anything else. Yep. Groove is a constant, right? If your band is grooving, if you pick songs that either, either if you're not going to put in the time, effort to diligently dissect the grooves that you're trying to represent, um, you know, are, are, are you doing, are, is your repertoire something that gets everybody? Because you can tell when the groove is taken over, man. People oh, in, their, yeah. in their seats are, are swaying around. The bartenders are swaying around. Yeah. I mean, it, is, it is really a beautiful thing. And I, I think it's the holy grail of what we all kind of search for, you know, as, as playing it as an ensemble. Is, the, is that thing that we put together, the combination of our hands, our feels, our beat placement, our song selection, you know, our, our backgrounds in music. I mean, I know some guys who are not 
what I would say gifted musicians, but they are serious students of the music that they love. And when you play the music that they love, it comes out of them different than other music. You know, I, I've seen guys emote earth, wind and fire, you know, that can't play a, you know, a Chuck Berry song or that type of thing, you know, but, but earth, wind and fire is, is what is in their heart. Right. And, uh, and they, they take it to another place. So anyway, good conversation. I, 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 I actually love- want to add one thing to this because it, there is, especially in the moment on stage tempo uh, can often get lost, but it's not just tempo. Like you said, it's, it's that feeling of it. And for me, if I feel it better before we start the song, the whole song is going to be better. I have a really hard time changing the tempo. Once a song has started, I can do it, but it like fights this thing inside me that says no. Right. And it's probably because I, you know, drove, with a click, it, you know, for decades while practicing, I still do. Right. And it's like, man, no, keep the time, keep it where it is. Never change. Right. That kind of thing. So changing the tempo of a tune, once it started it all, it, it like, even when we change it, I feel like it never gets to where it, it should be. Um, the feel of it never gets to where it should be. So my, um, my advice to everybody, and this is the advice that I, I use myself is before you count in a tune, stop. And to your point, Paul, feel it somewhere in your body. Don't just think about it in your head. I, in fact, I went and saw a, a theater show. It was actually a high school theater show. It was a high school musical at one of the local high schools. I knew one of the, the kids that was in it. So we went and saw it. And uh, I watched the the band director who was a teacher at the school. And maybe a minute before any given song would start. It might just be like a quick little, you know, scene change music, or it might be a big number coming up, whatever it was. I watched him and he was sitting there and he'd start patting his hand on his chest to get that tempo just right. And then they'd launch into the tune whenever, you know, whenever it was appropriate to do so in the flow of the play. But um, it's like, yeah, man, just take a minute. And, and I got that advice from a guy who played with actually Barry Tashin of the remains and he said he would never rush into starting a song. The first thing he'd do is he'd like just stand there and get his body moving. And then he'd either count it in or if he was playing the intro, he'd just play it. But, um, well, it's, I'll, it's I'll tell you the lesson. house rockers. Yeah. It is a great lesson. So the house rockers, we're, we, we have to work very hard to keep our hands around this. So whether it's a question of, of uh, adrenaline starting to take over, you know, yeah. going, you know and then, you know, life's you know, is going faster than it actually is. You know, uh, we've whether a song gets too started too fast because the adrenaline is going, or an overcompensation of counting something in too slow, trying to rein it back a little bit mm-hmm. because it's been getting there. These are very real things, and you know, you saw from playing with us. What we do is we end a song on a chord and hold that chord out, and then count in the next the next song. We do that really often, right? I, I certainly have had to learn that in the holding of that last chord. I need to like feel the next song in my, in somewhere, like somewhere, somewhere in my you, body. You got to feel, you got to get it out of your head. Yeah. Cause your head's going to, your head's the thing that will be the most influenced. Yeah. <laughs> right. And one trick is I'll like, if I know I have a song that has trouble spots, um, 
the best way for me to find it is vocally, right? Because a lot of times the vocal, the instruments could play the song at, at a wide variety of tempos, but the vocals, you know, can really help narrow down where that range is. Sure. But it's not necessarily the opening line of the song, right? It might be the chorus or it might be, you know, the second verse. And and I'll notice that. Like if we're playing a tune, it'll be like, oh, we're doing it too fast. And wait, where are we? What did I just notice? I noticed the singer and that might be me or it might be somebody else having to, you know, choke on a few words or whatever it is. Okay, great. So that's the part I'll sing in my head as I'm trying to, you know, settle in on that tempo. Um, and it can just be, a, there's a lot of tricks, but, but you got to employ some of them unless you're freaking perfect. And I'm certainly not. So <laughs> I think that's, it's really good, good advice. And it's, you know, one of the things that distinguishes a professional band from, from, you know, just people who aren't thinking about the, the subtleties of these types of things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's part of the details you got to take care of. It is. It totally is. Yeah. The other part is hearing, uh, you know, I, I mentioned, um, a couple of weeks ago that I lost one of my in-ears, Paul, um, at, at that bitter pill gig. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well it, and it was because it fell off the, the, the cable. This was an ultimate ears UE seven pro ambient, I think was the model. So three drivers per ear. Um, and I'd had them since 2004, I think, I mean, I had them a long time, but, um, I guess what happened is the, the, the jack for the earpiece just got loose over time. And I'd sent these in a couple of times for, uh, I'd had, you know, drivers blow out or whatever. Um, and so I'd had them sent in, but I haven't sent them in in a while and maybe I needed to. And so I think that's what happened is it just got loose and it just fell off and I never found it. So Same I, thing happened to me, by the way, I, I lost an earpiece at one time. Okay. So, um, so I have a question about, about that. So what they did, I called up ultimate ears and, uh, thankfully the folks there remembered me and, and, uh, very nicely said, Oh yeah, look, you know, it's been a long time. Why don't we upgrade you? So they did, uh, very kindly upgraded me to the UE 11s, UE 11 pro ambience. I like the ambience for on stage. Uh, and what that means is, there's a filter in there's a basically a hole that goes all the way from the outside of the ear all the way inside or outside of the earpiece all the way inside. And it's got a 12 dB filter in it. So you can so it's blocking out some level of sound, but it's letting some of that stage wash in. And then if you want, you can plug the rest of that hole up with a uh, with, with these little rubber stoppers that they give you. So you have the option to go fully 25 dB or 12. Um, and I like that on stage. So they made those for me. And the, the earpieces came out beautiful. I actually got, they, they said, go get new molds. I know we have your molds on file, but go get new ones. And I went and got scanned with a 3D scanner, Paul. So instead of, shoot, yeah, instead of shooting goop in my ear, it was this guy. It wasn't an audiologist. It was this drummer named Libor Hadrava uh, down in Massachusetts. Great drummer, really nice guy. And it took him about 20 minutes and I could see my ears get scanned on this computer screen in front of me. I wore this. Um, it was a. It was like a almost looked like a pair of headphones, but it, there were no headphones. It was like this big ring that went over each ear. And I guess that gives the the scanning tool that he has a um, you know a point of reference on my head, so that it, it, as he moves around, it knows where it is. And I could see like he just like stuck this scope down in my ear, and suddenly as he moved it around, this picture of this 3d picture of my ear just materialized on the screen in front of me. And the cool part was as soon as we were done, he actually left to go to PASIC, which is a, a percussion <laughs> show, but ultimate ears already had it. 
because it's online and they just send it. You don't have to mail impressions. Yep. And he didn't have to be an ear doctor. He went for, I think, a three day training thing, you know, a couple of months ago out in uh, in California where where UE has their main lab. Uh, But he doesn't have to be, you know, an audiologist to 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 do these impressions. So it really was was a cool thing. And within a week of going to do that, my ears showed up because I could start making them right away. And with these, um, they have a much different uh, connector. There's it's this sleeve thing that I, I can't imagine it would ever fall. Uh, Is fall it similar off. to the to the the Harvey ones that you got? The GH no, ones? the the JH ones. It, it's actually a screw piece that that screws the the cable onto the onto the earpiece. This is is just pressure. But whereas the old one was just a piece of um, like the, it was just a piece of plastic that sort of pushed up against the earpiece. And the only thing holding it in were the, the two little contacts that, that stuck out this one, the contacts kind of go into a, a sleeve. It's almost like a, like a tongue and groove sort of thing going on. So there's a whole lot, a whole lot more depth to it. And that was my question for you. Did they change your, your connector piece when, when you had yours fixed or replaced after you lost one of your ears? No, I had to order a new set, and okay. you know, they just sent me one that has never been a problem since. So, okay. I wonder how endemic a problem it was, and I wonder if they made a this. And it, and what they what I had to reorder was basically the same thing. It's just that the connector didn't come out. So, right. I don't know if they re-engineered that. Right, and I've right. had those for I've had those for three years now, and I've never had a problem with them. Well, that's good. That's good. I'll send you a uh, I'll send you a picture of of what this looks like so that you can you can see it, and I'll I'll post it online too. So that we can we can compare what what you had. Actually, I'll yeah. post a picture of what my old one looks like because I have the the left one from those. But um, I finally got to. I haven't played a gig with him because the the gig I did on Wednesday was an acoustic gig. So uh, just you know, don't need in ears for that. Uh, yeah. Not generally. But I did have a band rehearsal with him, and man, they sound great. They fit great. Uh, you know that three D scan. I've always. I would say that I've had maybe. You know, I've had a lot of these things made over the years. And I would say 40% of the time, the fit is not right out of the gate, which is fine. I mean, you know, the companies are always happy to, you know, tweak it or whatever. But, um, but this time, you know, it was perfect. And the ones so that, for so that's the fit too. Yeah. So that's the fit, but you know, the, what, how many drivers are in the 11s? In the 11s, it is, uh, I should have this up in front of me. I think it's, it's, uh, four, two lows, a mid and a high. That that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And so how's the sound experience? Di- much different for um, the price? It's, it's, it's definitely clearer on both the low end and high end than the sevens were. Um, and, but it, it, it's hard to say, cause I'm not comparing a brand new set of sevens with a brand new set of 11s. Right. So who knows what might or might not have happened to the drivers over the last I mean, I had those since 2004. Probably the last time I had them serviced was, you know, maybe 2011, 2010. So it's been a little while. Uh, but but there's it definitely was like, whoa, the whole different sonic experience, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. It. Um, I, I ran kick drum in into my ears, which I normally don't do at a rehearsal, but I do often at gigs. And it definitely, you know, that extra low end driver made a difference there, uh, which is good. You know, so yeah, Good, man. yeah, yeah. Fun stuff. It's, um, right. it's, uh, it, it all in ears is the way to go. And you don't have to start with, you know, I think I said this last week, you don't have to start with custom fits folks. You can, you can do this with a hundred dollar set of, 
um, I really like uh, it's from grain audio. I know it sounds strange. These are actually made with um, wood, believe it or not, the grain audio, I E H P O ones. They've got like a, a wood um, a, a sort of case for these headphones, but they're, they're 99 bucks. They're universal fit. And they would work great. I've used them on stage. I mean, they, they sound great with music, but they sound great on stage too. So uh, it's not the case with all these things. Some of them really are not like, you know, I, when I first got my, um, my first set, um, I tried to use them for music Yeah, and it didn't sound right. Right. Oh, I, I don't, I, um, so, you know, I, I, in the last two weeks, I've gotten two of these things, right? The, the Jerry Harvey, uh, JH audio Layla's and then, and then these ultimate ears, UE 11s. I, I tried the Layla's, um, at band rehearsal too, just to get a feel for, you know, what that was like. And they were fine, but not EQ'd at all for use in a live scenario. They're reference monitors, right? So yep. they, they're flat. Now, I can run an EQ. I could certainly use these and they would sound great, but out of the gate, it was, it was obvious that one set was built for live use and one set's built for, you know, reference monitoring. And, and they're two very different things. Um, and they, and obviously the EQ pattern matters. So, yeah. Yeah. They, I remember when I was talking to Jerry years ago about this, um, cause they had just come out with the UE five C's. This was back, I think in 2003, 2004, maybe, um, and those were built for people to use with their, their iPhones or it's well, iPods. There were no iPhones at the time. And, and it was all about the EQ pattern. He says, yeah, normally with like the UE fives, which were their two driver models at the time, he said, we would, you know, give a little boost around six K to give it some growl to kind of, you know, give you what you need on stage. He said, but that can be a little bit much when you're just listening to music and there's not a lot of stuff happening around you. And, and so, yeah, absolutely makes a difference. So, All right. Fun so stuff. it is good stuff. So uh, I want to tease a little bit what we're going to talk about in the next episode and see if we can get a little bit of conversation going on our Facebook community page. So I thought next week would be fun to talk about coming new year. Maybe some people are looking for some new projects um, or adding people to their existing projects. The whole concept of auditioning, both you as a musician going out, and auditioning for somebody uh, or you as a band or a band leader and or a band leader hosting uh, auditions for new players. What do you do? How do you do, how do you prepare on both sides of this equation? And uh, what do you do? So we'd love to hear on our Facebook page, our Facebook community page, um, start a little discussion um, with stories and Share your war stories if they've been if they if it hasn't worked out so well. I've, I've um, already I've already got a war story. I can't wait boom. to share. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> so your best your best stories or your best hints and tips of either auditioning when you want a gig or hosting auditions when you need new musicians in your project. So let us know what you're thinking because that'll be next week's conversation here on Gig Gab. Sounds great, Paul. I'm looking that right, as you can tell, I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> Folks, we will uh, we will see you next week. Our Facebook page is uh, go to giggabpodcast.com slash Facebook and that'll bring you right there. Until then, always be performing. Always. Always. Thanks, Paul. See you, Dave.